Oh, Stefan. Or Stefan, how are you doing? I'm very good. Um, yeah, it's a busy, busy period uh, these days because the CFP for DevOps Belgium is closing in two days. Uh -huh. Then I'm taking a small holiday before the hectic road to, to DevOps Belgium starts. So okay. now um, I'm, I'm in a good place. So Stefan or Stefan is pronounced perfectly, right? Or yeah, no? Stefan is fine. Very good. So uh, forget about the CFP because what I w would like to know is what was your first computer? <laughs> so my first computer, I actually did uh, summer summer, uh, how do you call that? I worked as a student during the summer holidays to buy my first computer, which was a Commodore 64, mm -hmm. uh, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I started playing with BASIC, but I, I must say I rapidly, I, I remember for my 18th birthday, I asked the assembly code of the Commodore 64. So I was studying assembly so I could write small games and intros, uh, basically where we were hacking games, mm -hmm. remove the security, put an intro in front of it, and then spread those hacked games around the world. That was my uh, my my first uh, I would say that involvement in the IT space. <laughs> so you were 18, and then you got the C64, and then you start playing, or you wanted to start programming immediately. I first started playing games. That that's often how it goes, right? And then you, you see all these nice games, and then you wonder how these are made. So I really started investigating and and meeting other. Actually, it already happened. Like we we had like a small uh, team of people who were really into coding. And I remembered one day I was going for one week holiday at another friend's place just to learn from him how he was doing assembly on the Amiga. Uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. So it was already like, you know, um, finding my way and, and trying to find other people who are passionate about coding. Mm -hmm. um, and what so was your favorite me, game? Sorry? What is your favorite game? Oh, well, is, you mean on Commodore 64 yeah. or now? No, now you're not, no, no time for playing because of your CFPs. But back then, what was your favorite game? Oh, I remember there was like this game which was um, something with dungeons uh, and it was like in a cartoon. So it was it was on the Commodore 64 and it was fragments of cartoons and you had to like play this, this guy mm -hmm. on the right moment that he would jump left or right or in the middle and depending on the right choice, you would see a very beautiful animation um, where okay. he would fall or could succeed. And that was like unbelievable. I mean, it was 64K. Mm -hmm. And they were doing crazy things. Uh, I remember there was another hacking uh, club in the Netherlands called 1001 Crew, and they were okay. able to put sprites in the border okay. of the Commodore 64. And I was like, how the hell did they do that? Mm -hmm. So they were like playing with the frequency and resetting it and making sure that the, the computer thought he already had drawn, was it 16 or 8 sprites, and they were resetting the counter so they could... Uh, paint another six or eight sprites and so that, that was like really fun it was just like finding out how these cool things were done and we're like yeah good times really good times really hacking and very low level stuff to be honest but but cool name right uh, 1001 you said yeah, right? yeah 1001 crew crew uh, even better 1001 crew there yeah. were lots of hacking spaces back then so 64 or was it yeah so so our team was called the uh, commando frontier cfr <laughs> So the Commando Frontier, and I remember, I mean, we were like oh, putting um, 
uh, like so we were hacking games putting it on a floppy disk of course you would pin it so you could use both sides of the floppy disk yeah. and then we were selling these games hacked games around the world and and putting uh, air lotion on the on the stamp on the stamp so we could reuse them and the glue was even on it so it was really very illegal stuff to to be honest mm-hmm. uh, i remember my dad saying like i will not go to jail because of you <laughs> <laughs> How old were you back then? It was 16 between 16 and 18 and then okay. you know after 18 I started to be a bit more serious and because I started then to go into informatics and really focus on the more serious professional enterprise part of it and not so much the, the get me out of jail card. <laughs> <experience>. <laughs> Uh, that that's interesting. Um, so if you became you know, eighteen, so you didn't. Uh, um, so then you stopped working with the air pressure, right? Then so yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, no. Um, what I wanted to say is, uh, or wanted to ask you, so what the first programming language was Visual Basic, then Assembly. You said uh, yes. Visual Basic, Basic, and Assembly. Basic, Visual Basic, exactly. Basic, and uh, Assembly. What happened yes. then? And and what was your next machine? I assume Amiga five hundred, right? No. Uh, yes, definitely in Amiga. Uh, that was the last machine that I bought myself. And then it was like the X286 uh, and so the, so the normal PCs in AT mm-hmm. and so on. And mm-hmm. uh, I switched to Pascal because I love that language. But then mm-hmm. very fast after that, it was C and C++. Uh, I mean, like one of the first things I did was working on an AX3 RS6000 uh, using Informix database in C doing enterprise applications like for Baxter Healthcare. I, I remember I was doing like an ERP system in C. Um, Why? Then, During your, uh, your study? No, no, when I started working. Basically. Oh, okay. But what happened uh, during your university time, right? So you, which programming language you learned? C and C++, you said? Yeah, C, C++, Pascal, COBOL, the, the classical ones that you had to learn basically to get uh, the diploma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really fell in love with C. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was doing C, I, I was working for a bank in, uh, in Australia. Actually, I left. Wow. For, well, I worked for a consulting company in, in Belgium. And they sent me to Australia because I was the only one who, was, who knew about SNA, which was like a uh, competitor of TCPIP. Um, and so SNA was like with AS400 and RS6000s and really communication. Wow. And I had developed my own application-to-application protocol in C. And so I had to install it uh, at that bank. So I stayed there for six months. And that was around 95, 96. So that's when Java came out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so in the exactly. evening, I was playing with Java. And when I came back to Belgium, I basically got the, yeah, the, the virus of, of working and seeing Duke wave in the browser. And like, wow, animation in the browser. Um, so uh, how, how you found Java back then? Well, I mean, I remember it was a... Flanagan's book. Uh, Java in a nutshell. Exactly. Yeah, that was my first book. And you could know JDK 102, you could know all the classes, all the methods. You could basically know the full language. Yeah. And you could read the specification book of the O'Reilly editions. But yeah, but so then it was like manageable. You could really understand. And with applets, because I was then still working for this financial company. So we were doing retail and corporate banking using applets. And using our no, own what interests me, if you start in a startup with C, you know, how yes. you found Java? So, I mean, you know, because uh, there was no internet back then or not really, right? So, well, uh, 95, 96, it started, right? Okay. So, browsers were starting to, to okay. become a thing. 
uh, you still had to dial in with the modem. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but then the, the enthusiasm was where we saw Duke and we saw animation. And that's where like, wow, there's okay. a language that runs in the browser. Um, because I think JavaScript didn't exist even back then. No, there was a live script, I think it was yeah, called. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And because of the working of the to, working for that financial company, they were thinking of like, how can we use Java applets to do banking? Okay. Uh, because it's a bit more secure than just yeah HTML or live script. And that's really where I started. Yeah getting excited about the language and very soon after when I came back to Belgium I, I basically wanted to meet again other people who are enthusiastic about it so I started the Belgium Java user group wow that early so 1997 something like this yeah in 97 yeah. you started the Belgium Java user group yeah in 97 so it was one of the first, I think, right? Yeah, it was definitely. I, I know there wasn't one in the Netherlands, so I was definitely before the Netherlands. Uh, okay. And I was starting to, uh, 97 was the first time I went to Java 1, and then I went like for 15 years in a row. So you really started to like yeah, get networked, connected to all these developers and engineers. And I think it was in 2001 that I then started Java Polis, because I, in 98, I started my own consulting company. Mm -hmm which was doing java consultancy basically so i left what was the, the name of the company jcs jcs exactly jcs <laughs> international i changed it and jcs could have standed for java consulting services or janssen consulting services because it started oh. with just me uh, but it rapidly grew and it doubled in size every year um, until it became too big, well, too big for me, which was like 35 people. And I, I wanted to stay a CTO and not a CEO. So I sold the company in, in September 2001. Um, that's when the, the planes crashed. I actually, yeah. when 9-11 happened, I signed the contract uh, in the afternoon to, to sell the company. And in the evening, I still had to fly to Norway to do some consultancy. And the, the, the taxi driver said like, you know what happened in New York? You shouldn't be flying. So it was like, my wife was like really scared that I was still flying that evening. So everybody knows a bit where they were at that yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I basically yeah, had signed the agreement to sell the company. And it's in that same year that I started Java Polis. So okay. because of BJAC, I was doing this already for like four years. Mm -hmm. And so after four years, you, you, you just want to do more and different things. So I wanted to do a one-day event or a two-day event. Mm -hmm. And that's how Java Polis basically uh, got started. So back to you, because uh, you, you are quite technical with SNA and C. And yeah. then, you know, the Java applets. So what you developed or what was your idea? Why, why you wanted to develop and what, right? During your, for instance, during the study, you had, a, you, you had a goal to develop something nice or what, what was your, what were well, your interests back then? Or, you know? We had like a desktop application at that financial company. So I wanted to mimic what they were doing uh, in the browser using a Java applet. So I was okay. doing research and development in the evening on my own, basically showing that you could do that in Java. Mm -hmm. And then when I came back, I was still able to do that for like one year mm -hmm. um, during business hours. And because I was so passionate with the language and really networking, etc., and with the Java user group, because that really, the Java user group really was for me the, the trigger. It, it actually was the push to go independent mm -hmm. um, because it, it opened up doors and connections to people which I would normally not have had. And because of the user group, there was a, a contract that I was able to get for one year at Progress Software doing oh. 
Adaptive Vista or something. They had like this application server f- that they bought from India. Mm-hmm. Adaptive Vista or something. I can't remember the name. And I was basically their consultant of selling that platform. It was like before J2EE. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, that was Java based. Uh, and it was like with the wizard and with CRUD. Uh, like, you know, it created based on the domain model, the screens. And it had Java at the back end. So I was helping them with that as a consultant. Uh, and they wanted to have more and more people uh, to support them. So I just hired more and more people uh, in, within the company. Then they did Sonic MQ as well, Progress Software. Oh, okay. So I did a bit of JMS for them, consultancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember one highlight for me was at CERN, where I was helping to integrate Sonic MQ in CERN to actually listen to the, the temperature and so on of all the hardware. Mm-hmm. And that was a really nice project, uh, to, to be honest. So yeah, you, you basically roll into it. And if you're really passionate about these things as you are as well, you know, one of one opportunity after the other uh, comes by, and because I, I'm not afraid of also communicating and talking and standing in front of crowds and learn and, and teaching, etc., and sharing your knowledge, it really helps to market also what you're doing as a business, uh, mm-hmm. and that's a success for both JCS at that time and then Java Polis. Uh, Afterwards, I didn't knew that it was a, you were actually an enterprise developer. No? I suspected you are some technical Java guy, but no idea that <clears throat> you also, you know, are an enterprise developer. Uh, regarding Java user group, was a Java user group a thing back then? Because I know the Java user group is an official, the Jack is an official name, or was it your invention? So you started. No, uh, it was definitely not my invention. There were definitely already Java user groups at that time. Okay, but Bjerk was definitely founded by me, uh, and then I rapidly you know got some other people who were enthusiastic mm-hmm. people who worked at some microsystems at a time as well who mm-hmm. joined me and and it was really a team effort uh, at that time but i was always the one uh, you know help handing handling the flag so to speak um but then like java police was definitely an initiative i did because the Financially, there had to be, you know, some money had to be put on the table. And, and luckily, when I sold the company, I was more or less financially independent. So I could actually do that that mm-hmm. risk mm-hmm. because the first three years of Java Polis, we, we, we didn't make any money. We, we lost money, basically. So luckily, with that sell, I was able to cover, you know, the, the learning curve, which what, what it takes if you run a conference like that. There were only three years of Java Polis? No, so no, it took three years to be break even. Okay. Uh, Polis, and then in 2008, I had to rebrand it to, to DevOps. Yeah. Uh, one question regarding Java Polis was your idea with the name? or? Uh, no, it was again also, we had, I had a program committee and a steering committee. And so in the steering committee, we had different people who are passionate about Java who, who came up. And we, the, the thing was, it was always organized in Kinipolis, ah, okay. uh, which is the cinema complex. So, you know, it's Java and Kinepolis. So Java Polis, oh, that okay. was an easy okay. one to, to come up with. But I did not originally come up with that name. I think it was the marketing company who, who, who I had hired um, because I was still, I still had a lockup period uh, during the sell. So I still had to stay for like three or four years. Um, so I was doing Java Polis in the evening and the weekends, but I still had a day job as a consultant uh, during the week. Uh, but then after my lockup period, I basically stopped with the marketing company and then I, I asked my wife to join and do the administration and I could do this full time instead of in the weekends and in the evening. Okay. 
And uh, that's interesting. And uh, what happened, you know, that you had to rename Java Polis to DevOps? Yeah. How so, it happened? Yeah, interesting. So, mm -hmm. Java Polis already existed like six, seven years, and, and it became really a, a, a well-known Java conference exactly. in Europe. And because of that, we, we were starting to appear above the, how do you call that, the, the, the line where people are seeing what's happening uh, also outside of Europe. Yeah. You know, and so I think we got attention from some microsystems, uh, from the, the people in the US. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they, 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 they have the brands Java, which they have to protect. And so... It is obvious in a way, I fully understand that they contacted me and said like, okay, you have to either rebrand it, rename it, or you can sign an agreement with us uh, so you can still continue with Java Polis. But the agreement wasn't really that fair. I mean, like one of the things which they asked was like that they would always have a keynote. And, okay. You know, for me, content is king. I did not want to sacrifice the content because of that. So I said, like, no, that's for me a breaking point. And then I, I remember one thing. They said, well, we can hire you. You just join some microsystems, and as an employee, you can use it. And so, well, I'm not really interested in <laughs> <laughs> microsystems at that time. So I contacted the marketing company, and they came with a new name. was Javox. Mm -hmm. That was the name, Javox. Mm -hmm. I had two X's, so it was unique, uh, because I wanted to name that if you put it in Google, it would give zero search results. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why they added the extra X. Uh, mm -hmm. That was really unique. And so we, I remember that. We announced it on Wednesday. Uh, Java Paul is rebranded to Javox. And the, the same day in the evening, I got another uh, email from the lawyer saying, like, no, Javox is not acceptable because it's still three letters from Java. So J-A-V. Uh, which is not allowed. And then uh, we discussed that in the program team and the, in the steering team of, of Java Polis. And then I remember Robin Mulkers, who, who used to work or still works at IBM. He came with the idea, oh, let's, let's do DevOps then. The Vox, Vox is voice, Dev vo developers or the voice of developers. And basically, you know, after one day, we rebranded it again to DevOps. <laughs> Just a great name, actually, right? It is a great name. It is really a good name. Um, but I, I had really sleepless nights because of that, because I had no idea if it would impact, you know, the audience and, and the interest in the events, because rebranding can go both ways, in, in my opinion. But luckily, you know, uh, it did not have any impact. On, on the contrary, I think mm -hmm. it really detached us more from Java. And over the years, we were able to rebrand it from the Java Community Conference to the Developer Community Conference, which is what it is today. Mm -hmm. It's much broader now. And the JVM is still like the red line, but it's not pure, pure Java mm -hmm. anymore. I like the Java Polis better, not so because of Java, but the Polis part is like some, you know, more dreamy somehow, you know, you can sure. almost science fiction. And DevOps is more technical name, I would say, right? So uh, DevOps, you this is like DevOps is a serious conference, and Java Polis is more like dreamers, you know, something science yeah. fiction. So this is why I, li I like it a little bit better. But yeah, I, I don't know, you cannot yeah. do this. Well, but it I, was better if it happened at Kitty Polis, but now with the, because of the franchise, we have DevOps all over the place. So yeah. the, uh, Java Polis would happen in Paris. It would not have this link with Kitty Polis, so it would yeah. break a bit the meaning. You also got the idea to uh, record all the Java user groups, I remember, right? So you did uh, something like a screencast sharing service, I remember. 
And this was very successful because I was invited to a lot of Java user group and everyone, you know, submitted their content to you, I remember. Yeah, true. So that was back in the time when, well, I first wanted to record the talks because you spent like six months preparing for this event. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after two, three or five days, all the content is gone. Mm -hmm. And all that effort is disappeared. So I really wanted to record mm -hmm. uh, the talks. And my inspiration came really from Java 1. I mean, Java 1 recorded, I, I don't know if you still remember, but they even had, I think, cassettes mm -hmm. where they recorded the audio on cassettes and then CDs. And, and so that inspired me to do something similar. And so in the early days, uh, before I published it online, I, I had developed a Flash application with a DVD which was basically, I mean, I spent like four months post-editing the talks. Mm -hmm. I did this myself, right? Right till, you know, it was like a monic work. Like, mm -hmm. it's, I, I took like eight hours for a one-hour talk to just edit it and then find the right times and so on. And so while you're doing that, you think like, man, there must be better ways <laughs> to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Well, so first we, we distributed DVDs um, using Flash, and then I started looking at YouTube, which was which was coming up. But in YouTube, you could only upload upload until ten minutes. Mm -hmm. but the talks were one hour, so yeah. I decided very rapidly to to, to build my own application, mm -hmm. uh, and I started with Confluence, which was from Atlassian, mm -hmm. where I was embedding the video and the slides separately. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I found a guy who was like Benjamin Dobler from Germany, who's like a wizard in, in Flash. And then Flex came out from Adobe. And so we decided to start a, our own product called Parlays. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, and Parlays was like, I mean, I did the server side, Ben did the, the client side in the beginning. Then I hired a few extra people like, uh, people like uh, Hertz and Jo, who joined me. Um, and yeah, we were doing really crazy things. I mean, he was like doing automatic recognition when the slide changes. So I didn't, it, we were post-processing talks automatically based mm -hmm. on pattern recognition of the slides and the recorded video and lots of fun until of course, YouTube started to add more and more uh, freedom in the duration of videos. Mm -hmm. And at that time, all of a sudden they even dropped it. So you could just post videos unlimited. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that, you know, I was fighting with a small team and a small startup. When was it, Palace? So it was... Oh, I think it was 2008. Right? Oh, I, I, I think I stopped in 2015 exactly. and I started in 2011 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, even Yo, he did like a JavaFX version of that. Uh, and because of that, it was so nice that I even did the technical keynote at Java yeah, exactly. 1. Exactly. Showing it. Uh, so we were really like having lots of fun, but we were having too much fun and not so much focused uh, as always on the business. Yeah. <laughs> we were just having, you know, coding fun and playing with technology and then using it for DevOps, but not so much looking at other conferences and trying to make a commercial success out of it. So, so it was so the Sunway, right? So they also had lots of fun. I would say, but it's important. I think without the fun, you wouldn't be as successful as you are. Because, you know, just uh, just chasing the business. Uh, I mean, you got to have free marketing out of that. Because what I remember, I was, you know, everywhere. And every Java user group, they recorded everything and uploaded to you. So you were the content king. And without the fun, it wouldn't happen. You know, if you started, you know, with contracts or whatever, no one will use it. And what I also remember, you used Glassfish, right? In the back end. 
yes. at least we had a talk about that. So it's like, yes. the, yeah, exactly. So uh, this was also interesting. So it's so, okay. It's interesting mm. that using Glassfish because I had no idea that you are an enterprise developer, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think the mistake we did was that we should have turned it into an e-learning platform. Um, yeah. And then it would have really thrived. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, of course, I would have had to get some venture capital and maybe move to the US to be really successful. Uh, but that, that was the missing opportunity because there were definitely other copycats uh, who were going in that direction. And I, I remember they were contacting me, etc. And they were really going, no, e-learning is the way to go. Mm -hmm. But for me, I, it was in function for DevOps. And so the e-learning yeah. wasn't really a right fit. Mm -hmm. um, but th that, you know, just, you know, that, that's afterwards. It's easy to say what I should have changed. But uh, that, that, that was uh, a missed opportunity. Uh, and and Parlays, or what, what's the name? So how how you came up with the name? So Parlays, uh, well, first of all, you had to find a, a free domain name with the .com, which was still a, a challenge. And Parlays is also a way for two enemies to come to a truce. Yeah. So it was a nice way to like, okay, let's have a parlay. Okay. Uh, so and it was also a bit parlay, which is the French word to speak. Okay. So it was like you know, I thought it was a good name to to to, to use. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what's also interesting is, um, or interesting, what I remember, you started with e-learning platform because you asked me w whether I have a course and I submitted or I recorded. It was at the end. It was at the end of Parlays. Okay. So we were like looking like how can we create revenue because I had, you know, three, four people working in Parlays. Mm -hmm. So I had to make sure I could pay their salary. Uh, and at a certain time, it was basically DevOps subsidizing that initiative. Mm -hmm. um, But that, that couldn't continue. It had to be self-sustained at, at a certain time. So we, we actually, our last try, our last pivot was to go to e-learning. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, we, we actually offered courses. Uh, and, and you were one of them. I know Heinz Boots had uh, courses mm -hmm. on it and so on. But the problem we had in Belgium was the micropayments. Um, having micropayments, like we, we had like courses which were like, okay, 20 euros, but it costs like five to six euros just from uh, an accountancy point of view to okay. get that in the books. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was working with Ernst and Young for, for the accountancy and yeah, it was really difficult to, to get that working. Um, the, the margin was, was so minimal that it was unable to, to be self-sustained. I don't know. I had the course, or I recorded the course, but I had no time. So I recorded the entire course. It was about Java very quickly. And I uploaded it to Parlays and I crashed your servers, I think, because I had no time. So I uploaded everything and then I had a call with the developers. So not that fast, you know, you have to be slow. So, okay, so this was a great, great time. So, and then I, it was actually quite successful, I can remember, but it was like 2015 or something like this. Yeah. And then I asked you afterwards, okay, um, I will just, you know, take the course from you and uh, I will upload a thing to YouTube or Vimeo. So yeah, yeah, sure, no problem, because we're shutting down on this was this what happened back then, right? So uh, yeah. and you always had funds. I always ask myself, you know, why you are doing this? And it turns out because you will wanted to have fun, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, I had my first midlife crisis when I sold my first company. And it was like, you know, I was 32 years old and I was like, okay, either I go full-time golfing, which it's not a sport I like, or I just have fun with technology. And this is really what I like to do. I mean... Yeah, golfing um, is terrible, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's in my DNA, right? I mean, if you're 16 and already playing with basic and assembly, it's clear that, that this is what you love to do. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I still love doing this. And, and it's something I don't have to do. I, I mean, I could really stop if I want. But 
it, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. And, and definitely also then the community aspect and, and touching so many people's uh, souls and, and lives. Because I, I do think, like, I, I remember, I mean, like DevOps, it allows people to be connected yeah. uh, because you meet in person and, and it, it's basically a way to make a difference. And, mm -hmm. and that's what I love doing, of course. Actually, uh, this year was uh, the first time after after the pandemic and some uh, in-person conferences and I just listened to some speakers and they said, I would really like to go to DevOps this year. So do you have a special, you know, um, uh, a special, how to call it, um, position, I would say. Everyone likes DevOps. This is, uh, and DevOps Belgium is like, I would say back then was Java One. I would say, right? Java Absolutely. One was the conference. And yes. now I think, you know, you, You took the place of Java One, I would say. So DevOps Belgium is, you know, the what I hear, you know, among attendees and 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 speakers. Everyone likes um, DevOps Belgium. Uh, what uh, in, what's unique was in Java One, I, I would say at some time because you also joined Java One. Java One was very special, right? Absolutely. I don't know why, but uh, this was it was a magical place, you know. And the first Java Ones, it was uh, unbeatable, Absolutely. and. Uh, Yeah, this was, I don't know why, actually, right? So why it was... All the engineers were there, San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, uh, some microsystems at that time did a great job of, of organizing a beautiful events with yeah. lots of networking, great content. And it's a shame, I mean, that there isn't a Java One anymore because, I mean, yeah. DevOps should not be the premier Java conference. It should mm -hmm. be Java One. Mm -hmm. It should come from Oracle. I mean, Oracle should have a premier Java conference yeah. because they are the steward of Java. Um, I mean, DevOps is basically plan B, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, I'm, I'm more than happy, of course, to uh, to do this. But it does have an impact because you, you definitely see, like last year, I mean, we sold out in five minutes. In yeah. five minutes. Which is, it's, it's, it's good in one way, but it's really bad on the other because a lot of people are just don't have the time to buy a ticket because it's just gone in, in, in minutes, which... I understand it's a luxury position to be in, but I would prefer it takes a bit longer so at least people have enough time to, to buy a ticket. And that's that's why I think the franchise model helps because if you can't scale vertically, I'm basically scaling horizontally over different cities and countries. Mm -hmm. So at least you can still go to a DevOps even if it's not in Antwerp and in the cinema complex. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right, right? Um, the... Um, the um You said that, you know, midlife crisis because you sold your company. So why you stick with Java? So you could actually do whatever you liked, right? So you still like Java or what's your, your relation to Java? Uh, to, to be honest, these days, the last year, I've been doing more Python than Java. Okay, uh, Inter this is, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and, and it's obvious for, for obvious reasons. I mean, the whole large language models and mm -hmm. ChatGPT, etc., all the excitement and for the moment, the innovation is happening within the Python sphere. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens is that once DevOps Belgium is finished, I have like four months of downtime because I don't have to do anything. So I'm doing research and development again, and I'm playing with new technologies and, and trying out new things and also looking at like the CFP, how can I improve it with the new technologies which are joined. And, and that's where like last year, already in November, Uh, when ChatGPT was recently released, I was already playing with Python and have like a fast API where I could have the Python code talk to the large language models and then see how I could integrate it with the CFP using REST, etc. And, you know, like these days, 
many years ago, you know this, you know, Spring Framework and J2E were like the two hot mm -hmm. platforms. But now in Python, it's Langchain. Uh, and Langchain is like this growing, it's very similar to Spring Framework. They also, they, they existed like for six months and they got $10 million investment, which also Spring Framework had the same pattern. Um, and the innovation which happens there, and it's basically like a, a framework on, on top of multiple large language models, so you can really like glue them together. And it's really, really exciting stuff. Um, so that's where, you know, Python, especially, once you know a few languages, mm -hmm. the concepts are very similar, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sure, I will not be an expert in it, but now with ChatGPT, you have an expert assistant which can help you if you don't mm -hmm. understand the code. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm using that a lot now. Uh, what's beautiful to see is now with Langchain, there are now Java versions happening as well. So there are Java initiatives where it's called Langchain for Java or 4J. So the, the Java ecosystem is picking up on the, the innovation as well and, and starting to embrace it. Uh, Microsoft is also coming out with a micro kernel, mm -hmm. which is also... Semantic uh, kernel, right? Yeah, semantic kernel, uh, exactly. Um, so you do see that, you know, it's it's always like this, right? It, there's always mm -hmm. a bit of a catch-up, uh, mm -hmm. which takes a bit of time. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really exciting times. I mean, seriously, every, I would say every quarter, I could start a new company for sure. Yeah. And there's so many, every 18 months, it's a control to lead because there's new opportunities every 18 months because there's, there's basically a new wave coming. Um, so I, I always have to limit myself a bit because I would, yeah, um, I, I want to do it a bit slower, but, but there's so many opportunities out there. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, regarding Python, so I also had thoughts on all with the, all the language models and machine learning. And I don't know whether you are aware of Tornado VM. You heard about that? Tornado VM? No. A uh, very interesting uh, project. You have to look it up and invite them to, to DevOps, of course. Uh, Tornado VM, what they are doing, this is basically uh, they're using GraalVM and they're able to run uh, Java on GPUs or even, you know, uh, accelerated Java. And the idea is to, you know, to do data science with Java again because Java mm -hmm. is very fast and, uh, and they have already some success with accelerated Spark, uh, Apache Spark, and uh, they did do serious projects. And um, and they also work now with the deep nets, with Soran, you know Soran for sure, with uh, okay. the deep nets of machine learning framework. So I would say, um, and what I also noticed, that the data scientists, they don't like Python a lot. I would say some, they just use Python because they have to, because it's okay, uh, we are not software engineers, so we just know glue stuff together and the others for instance for performance reasons they use go or whatever and uh, and they don't care about uh python so i would say there's actually a huge opportunity for java just to to do the same with pure java you know and save some energy they, um, yeah. the uh, the problem or problem uh there is i don't know whether it's european law or german law next year large companies will have to know to show co2 footprint and uh, you know maybe the you know the energy efficiency eff efficiency of Java and this is actually great is number five or four yeah. after C C plus plus other and and Python is like thirty five times worse. Yes, so, so so what's what's I think what people don't see is the opportunity to use Java you know and combine Java in data science with things we already have. Yeah. And uh, this is why I'm. I don't spend too much time learning new languages 
because for me, it, as you said, this is for me it's a little bit waste of time because I know Java well enough, you know, and you can do with Java whatever you like. If I would learn, you know, different language, I would lose time, you know, to knowing all, not about the language, it's more knowing about the problems, you know, the errors you get with Java, we already know what happens, right? Uh, and if, if I would learn Rust or whatever, and just learn, if I will practice that, then I would know, uh, lose some time with just, you know, knowing that, I don't know, you know, what happens if I run it on ARM or Intel and how it behaves in Docker or whatever, in Java, I already know mm. what to expect, right? Yeah. So I think this could be also a hot topic, right? So data science with Java, with uh, Tornado VM, with you no know, deep nets ideas. So it could be an interesting, uh, interesting topic for DevOps even. Absolutely, I, I'm already seeing like the the green and energy saving talks appear in the CFP as well. So it's definitely starting to get some traction. And you're you're fully right. I mean, Python is definitely not the most performant mm -hmm. uh, language. But it's where the excitement was definitely a year ago. Uh, mm -hmm. Now it's already shifting again because, again, Java is catching up for sure. Um, but, yeah, I'll definitely have a look at the Tornado VM and see if I can reach out to them. Juan Montero, I think, is the committer from, from, uh, from Tornado VM. And I had some chats at conferences with data, data scientists and asked them, you know, about Python. And, and, and the response was often I got, we are we don't care about the language. Uh, this is what we get, you know, to, to, to run the model. We get the data back and we are happy. So they, they don't spend time, you know, about data structures, whatever. They they just very pragmatic about that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that, that that's actually interesting. So the, the beauty of what's happening there as well is that a lot of these large language models are now appearing with a REST interface in front of it. Mm -hmm. So you can basically interact with it with any language as long yeah. as it talks HTTP. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's a, good, uh, a native good. integration would be interesting, but uh, to my understanding, is even Python talks via REST, right? So uh, uh, with the with with the models, so it would be interesting, you know, to pick OpenAI model and uh, you know run it locally and see whether we can interact directly with it without the uh, HTTP, you know, interaction. So there's this guy from Bulgaria who's doing a C++ migration of all these models. Exactly. And he's running it on iPhone. And now yeah. he actually did, uh, I tweeted it this afternoon, he's able to spread the load of the inference on Raspberry Pis. So you can have a cluster of different Raspberry Pis and have like a, a really big uh, large language model in, do inference on, multiple, on your cluster. Mm -hmm. C++. Mm -hmm. So once we have Valhalla or these JNI, mm -hmm. brand, new branded JNI interfaces, you, you could totally do that with Java. Even more interesting, I mean, the C++ is one thing, but, you know, C++ is close to Java. So it would be interesting, you know, to translate it to Java, let's say, to, you know, not, uh, you know, beautiful Java, but just good enough. As you remember at the beginning, there are lots of C2 Java translators, which produce, yeah. you know, crap code, but it worked. And then, you know, let's do some experiments on GraalVM, for instance, right? It would be interesting to run, yeah. you know, the Java code on GraalVM. And then you can combine it with other languages. And, you know, then you could have, you know, high-performant Python, which calls uh, Java code, you know, and offer to the data scientists and say, look, this is like, like, are you aware of the Mojo project? You know, the Python, which is uh, by Chris Lattner, which uh, is an accelerated Python right now. So we have it on, on GraalVM. So I would say, 
you know, it's your job actually to push the ideas because I'm just a developer, no? but but you can go, you know, on, on stage and talk about it. Keynote. Absolutely, so yeah, and I do that on regular basis. I mean, I we did like last year at the DevOx Belgium keynote, we had one of the first AI generated animations uh, mm -hmm. based on different themes that I wanted to highlight. Mm -hmm. And it was a guy that I found in Australia who was really pushing the envelope on uh, AI art. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of people saw that for the first time at, at DevOps Belgium, where yeah. we had like a three-minute video generated completely with AI. Now it's already, you know, everybody knows about it. But but, but know, what, what I think, what you're saying is marketing. But if you explain to developers, look, yeah, there is a guy in Bulgaria who translates, you know, the models to C++. We could translate this, you know, to Java. And run it on Graal, see what happens. So you know, in this direction, and see you know, maybe with students, maybe some contributions happens because, it for me it seems like doable. The problem is our time, right? I cannot just uh, go to vacation to say my clients, hey, look, I'm I just translating my GPT to Java. They will say I'm crazy, but uh, you know, but we need someone who is passionate, a student, and just. Does that right? Yeah, but that's the beauty again about uh, an event like DevOps and other IT conferences is that you know the Graal people will be there, mm -hmm. so you can just talk with Alina or uh, her, her colleagues and basically start brainstorming. And what happens is that sometimes you have lunch and you start pitching that idea, and then all of a sudden there's a movement. They say, oh, okay, let's do an open source project, and that's how things happen. And that's why I'm saying like connecting the dots. Yeah. I know who's doing what, and I, I really, sometimes I really take a guy and say, okay, you need to come with me, and I need to introduce you to him. Yeah. I remember one time, Roman Guy, uh, yeah. he came to me, and he said, Stefan, can you introduce me to Joshua Bloch? He's sitting over there. I said, sure, sure. So I took Roman Guy and said, hey, Josh, Josh Bloch, this is Roman Guy. You need to talk to this guy. He's from France, but he's, he's really good in graphics. Mm -hmm. And just that introduction resulted in him joining Google, and now mm -hmm. he's still working in the Android team. Yeah, he's a pretty high actually on the Android team right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, together with Chet Haas as well, and, yeah. and so on. So. But Roman Guy did, did you know the crazy the uh, swing? Um, how would it call yes. it? No, the swing hacking show at Java One. The, uh, yes. How is an extreme swing makeover? Right? Yeah, was exactly. Session. Yeah, exactly. This was uh, the yeah. everyone said oh, yes, swing is no is is uh, is terrible, and he just created an, an stellar apps with swing, which was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was together with Chatas as well. Yeah, exactly. They both were working at some microsystems at that time, but they wanted to join the Android team. So, mm -hmm. it yeah, I mean, that's also the beauty of like 3,000 plus people, you know, in one location in the evening, drinking beer and having ideas and, and, and basically... You remember this. Java One and Rich Green? The guy? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. This is what I meant, you know, about your job. What Rich Green always did is so like, you know, is the first five minutes is like, I read a newspaper about this and uh, what i found you know there is like broad i remember broadband going on in san francisco therefore you no know, java combined with the back end we can achieve that and this is what you could do right to say look everyone is looking at python but there is nothing special in python you know we can do this with java with c mentioning the guy from bulgaria tornado vm just you know to point the ideas because i think from the attendee perspective if you go to graal vm talk it is very technical and very special then you go maybe to a machine learning talk, which is a complete different topic. And I think it is hard to find the connection. Yeah, of, it, the, this is obvious maybe if we're talking right now, but I think if you would join the conference, you you wouldn't find you know, the connection between GraalVM, 
Python, machine learning, or whatever, right? Yeah, but I already do that in a way implicitly by inviting people that I really f find interesting what they're doing. Like, for example, there's a, a Chinese guy who did a Spring Boot uh, ChatGPT library. Mm -hmm. And so, very fresh, really beautifully designed. You really saw that he's a, an expert. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very blunt. I, I just ping him. I start talking to him and say, you should come to DevOps and you should talk and so on. And unfortunately, he, he's unable because he just switched jobs in a Chinese company. So he's unable to come. But I didn't tweet about it so people know it. Uh, but I have a few other, like tomorrow I'm talking to another guy uh, where he, he's basically the founder of Lang, Langchain 4J. Uh -huh. and so I'm like pushing like, okay, you guys need to be present there because people need to know about your project. So that's the first thing. At least have a platform where they can speak about exciting new initiatives. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the first thing. And once they're there in Antwerp or in any other DevOps or IT conferences in general, you can start introducing the right people and try to see if there's some synergies that can happen out of that. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't always have to be the enabler because a lot of things happen automatically, right? No, but you, you can speak well, you know, can just tell it on the keynote, right? So I'm just, you know, yeah, like... Absolutely. This, this absolutely. is what I, what, what I thought about. I know the enabler that you can, you know, um, you can coordinate the pe people or inspire people. But, you know, if you, if you just, you know, like... No, show the path. This is what I'm a little bit missing. So Java 1, there was no the sun. We said, okay, this and this is possible. What of dreams? And now it is almost lost. Everything is possible, but it's sometimes hard you know, to find what we should do, right? In which direction should True. we go? This is, uh, this is the... Yeah, but th there's, of course, a different dynamic with, with Java 1. You had an enterprise company behind it with political and strategical goals that they wanted to... An agenda that they want to communicate, of course, as well, right? Uh, with DevOps... I don't really have any specific goals. I want to share the knowledge and the excitement and make sure that we have a good educational learning platform and a networking environment. But I don't have any goals for products, you know. Yeah, but for instance, what agenda could be, right? Um, machine learning with Java. Yeah. Right? Sure. So this is like for this year and next year you pick another agenda. So you could do as if, as if you were, you know, some microsystem or enterprise uh Company and your agenda would be for this year, you no know, ChatGPT or Langchain with Java. What we can yeah. do with it, like you know, some yeah. Uh, yeah this, this this could be interesting. So, a um, question regarding Python. So, from Java to Python, was it hard for you? So, you enjoyed everything, or what you hated the most in Python? Or well, the first thing I hated was a bit the the environment, the dependencies. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you have like Maven and and Gradle. You have some things almost similar where you, you can create a requirements file and there you can say, okay, I need these libraries and these are the versions of these libraries. Uh, and then you install it. And what I didn't know is that it installs it on, in your shell on your computer, but you really have to create an, a virtual environment first. So that was like a first learning experience. I wasn't aware of Conda and, and these type of things where you can create a virtual environment, like a Docker, a Docker instance, for example, where it's nicely contained. So that was a bit of a learning curve. But once you know, because the thing is, is that I had clear goals in mind. So one of the goals that I wanted to do was semantic analysis and semantic similarity of talks. So based on the semantic meaning, I wanted to show other talks which had the same content cool. and have the ability to do semantic search. And so that was my goal. So I do whatever is needed to achieve that goal. 
And so I, I will not sleep and just go, you know, really non-stop to achieve that goal. So whatever it takes, if I have to read books, if I have to do research, if I have to follow courses or whatever. And so that's, that's so I'm laser focused. Um, and then, yeah. And of course, the end result is not always the most beautiful code because you're learning while you're doing this. So a lot of times I revisit it and I rewrite it because you learn new things and even how jump. much code? How much code was it? So I, while I was, I had that finished very rapidly, like in, in a small week or so, I had something working. But then I saw like this opportunity and I started doing other things. Like and then I started with DevOps Insights, mm -hmm. where I wanted to do uh, the transcripts of the talk and create summaries of the talks, and then you could do Q and A, etc. And before you know it, it is a, a substantial, becoming a substantial project. Yes. Uh, so uh, you used the OpenAI Whisperer, or what do you, what do you use for that? Uh, no, so for so there's a Python library which allows you to download the transcript from YouTube. So you just give it the, the okay. YouTube URL, it downloads the, the transcript, and then you basically chunk, chunk, create chunks of text because at that time the context was 4K. You could have maximum 4K chunks of text. Now it's already 32K. Or if you use Clode, it's 100,000 tokens that you currently have. So it's, it's really going very fast. So I had to create chunks of the transcript. Then you summarize the different chunks and then you put you you convert it in word embeddings and then you put the word embeddings in a vector database and that was the whole learning experiment which i actually did a talk about at devox france and devox uk where i wanted to share the experience cool. uh -huh. um, but also trying to push like how far can you push chatgpt like can you use chatgpt to schedule 200 talks and have the best schedule for example yeah. those are things i i, I tried out and so just giving the talks, etc., it was able to create a perfect schedule for one day using certain uh, constraints. So like constraints are obviously like if you have two talks, you can't do two talks at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. But other constraints were, for example, you have tracks and you don't want to have the same track at the same time. It was able to do that pure in text for one day, but for five days with 220 speakers, that was impossible. So the way I did it was actually I asked ChatGPT to create a Python application which would do the planning for me. Okay. And that, and that worked. That was actually possible. So it could produce a Python code with whatever library it chose, a, a Google library. But it could, it could have also done OptaPlanner, which is what we use today, where it could have generated a Java application using OptaPlanner to create a schedule using that application. So it's like... Uh, yeah, basically experimenting and seeing what's possible, but again, in function of DevOps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you are one of the, you know, how to call it, uh, one of the midlife crisis guys who learns the most worldwide, right? Instead of playing golf, you are constantly learning, right? For years, yeah. which is... But having fun with technology, I would say. Yeah. yeah, learning, right? Having fun, but learning. So as you said, yeah. this is, it is a learning on steroids, I would say, what you are doing. Yeah, yeah. Probably. I'm definitely learning, that's for sure. But because, well, I mean, I always said to myself, like, if DevOps, if it would just be a copy and paste every year and there's no excitement for me anymore, I would stop doing it. Exactly. So there has to be excitement. I have to feel that there's a difference that we can make, but also that we can learn and, and not just in Java, but very broad. And, and so that, that keeps me going. What I remember, I think it was last year. I was at the Voxed Romania. I gave a keynote 
and uh, the host of the show, nice guy, I forgot his name. Alex. Alex. He yes. say uh, he lost uh, his voice or something, and he say, hey, it doesn't work because Stefan's still deploying, you know, <laughs> this app right now. So uh, during the keynote, you deployed, you know, the entire app new, and he was cursing, say, Adam, keep going, but I don't know how long because Stefan is, you know, deploying again. You remember <laughs> this? No, was it was it the virtual one on Rocket? Yeah, virtual one. Yeah, I the did it with a keynote. There was Alex yes. and his wife, and yes. there were lots oh, of fun. Yeah. And the attendees and Alex said, "I don't know what's going on because Stefan is deploying again, right?" Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, during the pandemic, I mean, I was like bored. I mean, the first year was like, "Wow, a sabbatical!" But yeah. very fast, you were just bored because you couldn't travel, etc. So uh, Mark Hazel and I decided, okay, let's build a, an e-platform so we can still run our own conferences. So mm -hmm. together with Celestino, uh, we, we were basically building an Angular application with Spring Boot and then also running it on Cloud Run, etc. Mm -hmm. using Graal to have the native app and so on. And yeah, we were just working on it nonstop and having fun again, but also in again, the, the possibility to have then still virtual events using mm -hmm. our own platform. And yeah, I, I, I do remember that there were still some issues. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex was cursing. So this was, this was actually fun. I said, okay, greeting to, 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 to Stefan during the keynote. Maybe you It have does to... not always go well. I mean, there's always, there's always bugs, right? I mean, no, nobody is perfect. So, what are you, so you are basically learning and running DevOps, right? This is your job right now, your focus. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, DevOps, I mean, running DevOps Belgium is not a full-time job. That's the beauty of it. So it takes, we start nine months before the event begins, but it, it basically ramps up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the last two months, especially the last month is really hectic. But after that, you have the DevOps blues, we call that. So you, you fall in a black hole, so to speak, and then four months, there's nothing. And so that, that's where I can basically refresh and, and, and try to do a bit of new things and R&D, etc. And then after four months, again, you, you gradually start or three months, you, you gradually start again preparing. Um, but the beauty is it's not a full-time job. So I can still develop on the CFP, mm -hmm. for example. I, I work daily on the CFP. I always I try to make it better and upgrade it to the newest versions, etc. And, and try to introduce new things like the whole chat GPT, like now we have like this automatic summaries, but now I also introduced blind reviews. So we have like a concept called community reviewers and I introduced the blind review. So I, I give the, the abstract and the bio of the speaker to chat GPT and I say like, hey, anonymize it. So they don't know who's actually presenting this talk because I wanted to see how people will rate the talks without knowing the name of the person. Okay. But they do see the bio, but it's anonymized. So it, okay. it doesn't say anything of the company, etc. And so these are like all types of experiments and, and things like uh, the tags. So a speaker can enter a tag. Well, I'm now using ChatGPT to create keywords out of the abstract. Mm -hmm. So it automatically gives you the keywords instead of the tags. So I'm, I'm now doing both, but next year I will drop the tags and the keywords will be generated out of the abstract. But also based on the semantic meaning, it will automatically link it to a certain track. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to select the track anymore. It will be selected for you based on the content that you submit. And things like that. So it's like, and like other things I did was like with face recognition, like we have a photographer taking thousands of pictures so what I'm doing is that I'm using face recognition to give you all the pictures from the show based on your Twitter avatar. Cool. 
and things like that. So it's like, again, having fun with technology, having them talks about it and giving an added value to the whole experience. Okay, now a serious topic. How do you think ChatGPT will affect, you know, the society and developers? Or technologies yeah. like ChatGPT. ChatGPT does matter. So I would say, you know. Yeah, large language models. It's, it, it's, it's in one side frightening and on the other side also exciting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I work at home on my own. I don't really have colleagues. That's why I need to go to conferences as well to at least get my kick. Uh, but I use ChatGPT on a daily basis as an expert assistant mm -hmm. who reviews my talk, who validates certain architectural choices, etc. So from that point of view, it's like universal education for anybody who has a computer and internet. Mm -hmm. Because everybody can now really learn anything using this assistant. Yeah. So I think that's a positive thing. But of course, it's obvious as developers, it's like, where will it stop? I mean, I can already now upload my projects uh, using the latest code interpreter in ChatGPT. And then people are starting to become afraid, like, is there still a future for developers? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, of course, on Reddit and there's like young people, teenagers who are saying, like, is, should I still follow, you know, computer science? Because maybe in 10 years time, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. So that's, of course, there's this dual thing that's like on one side, I'm, I'm personally, I'm much more productive because I can like, I give my code to ChatGPT and I say like, how can I improve it? And I learn while it gives new approaches to, to algorithms or whatever. And so I'm being more productive for sure uh, because I, I now have this expert assistant. But where will this end? If this, is an, if this will be an exponential growth, maybe just the business analysis will have a job where they basically say, this is a system and you explain the system how you need it and it might generate it maybe in 10 or 20 years time. I don't know. So, so that's the frightening part. It's like we're like this frog in this boil where they are heating up the water yeah. and the frog doesn't know that it's getting boiled, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, with the boiling, I think this this uh, this doesn't. Uh, I, I read. No, no, so I know it's fake. It, it, it's not fake. real. It doesn't but work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Really. But uh, what I think, even if the business analyst would manage, you know, to, to generate one system, I think the challenge would be still still have you know to have three systems which communicate with each other, or no, or have the insight that actually from the th three systems you can create one system. So I think with all the AI, you are faster, but you still the faster you are the complex system you will build, you know? And yeah, the more maybe it will create a system that we don't even understand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so you will you will have, you know, uh, if you if you need to understand something, that it you you need to be an expert, you know, in order to 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 use the AI well. This is my feeling. Because you know, right now if if you write for instance Java code, CRUD, right? So you know exactly what to do. So you could say, okay, then ChatGPT generate, right? But if you need an algorithm then you could take, you know, ChatGPT to generate the Java code. But if you look at the Java code, say, this is what I don't understand. It's a good idea. So maybe it is a good idea to rewrite the Java code to make it simpler. You know, take inspiration because if you just use ChatGPT, then we don't need Java code uh, anymore. You can just generate, you know, bytecode and I say, I don't care because I could exactly. re regenerate exactly. it again, you know, because this is completely different levels. So, yeah. Yeah. It, you remember, or you know, like the translation where languages translation and yeah. what they used AI as well. And it, the AI came with its own language to actually represent different spoken languages. Mm -hmm. So it could be, again, 
in X amount of time that it just creates zeros and ones, so to speak. Exactly. Um, and it does what you have described, but we will need to describe it in much more detail so it knows exactly how to implement it Ex or how to generate yeah. it. And this is a full, full circle, right? This, this will be interesting how far we can go because if it will just generate you know, working software, it will also have to generate diagrams or something that we understand whether this thing is actually doing which it's supposed to do, because this could be even misunderstanding, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because we are not a perfect creatures, even if, you know, ChatGPT is going to be perfect. If I tell, you know, create a banking system for me, whatever, maybe I misspell something and it will generate lots of code which does the wrong thing. So it, it will have to generate some representation, testing or whatever, which has to be understood. So for me, I would say the complexity will be higher and actually the, the requirements... Uh, to, to to software developers are higher than before because right now it's enough you know to build CRUD and get us and set us <laughs> and afterwards you will have really to know what the impact is of such a system right yeah I mean it will take time I don't think we will be out of a job you remember MDA 2000 model driven architecture so like 2004 I was at conferences from object management group there were companies who claimed you know we don't need developers anymore because they can generate everything from UML I say I'm a little yeah. bit skeptical but who who knows, right? But it uh, was exactly the same problem. The, uh, not exactly the same problem, but similar problem. Because, you know, you had the diagrams. And it was a lot, you know, you could draw the diagrams, but you were faster with code. And But yeah. similar problem, I had a chat with a manager, actually, was uh, offshoring and outsourcing, right? It is a kind of a chat GPT, because what the, what the companies did, they, they wrote the requirements, and they say, build a system, Right? And this was um, there was not like uh, artificial intelligence; it was just intelligence offshore, and yeah. it also took a long time, you know, lots of iterations to communicate with the developers in order to tell exactly what they have to do. And with ChatGPT, the iterations are shorter, but uh, the question, but the problem is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely true. Um, so I, I definitely think describing a system will be more important. Um, yeah. And over time, who knows? I mean, developers will just have to play a different role, maybe. Yeah, exactly. You will. Um, have, you have to use the AI, and uh, and and how far? Nobody knows, right? No, no, we don't. Question uh, regarding uh, DevOps: What is your ultimate goal now? I mean, what what would be the perfect, you know, next year? So let's say you could do, you know, whatever. Like, what what you would like to achieve with DevOps, with Java, with whatever? Um, that's a difficult question. Uh, for for me, it's it's to to find interesting speakers and, and also new speakers because the problem what I'm seeing for sure is that it, it's a traveling circus in regards <laughs> to speakers. It's still it's not no no I knew because I didn't attend a lot of conferences the last three years so it's it's nothing is it the same speakers again? Well, so I try to go to all the DevOxes, which yeah. we have six or seven, uh, and I try to go to a few Fox Days as well. And what you're just seeing is that these speakers, they go from one event to the other, yeah. a lot of them, right? Yeah. So that's why I call it the traveling circus. Yeah. And so one of my aims is try to break that and not always invite the same speakers uh, and try to find new rock star speakers or new uh, angles. Mm -hmm. That's why the Python part is also interesting and, mm -hmm. and the AI part, because we, we can have an influx of new speakers that we didn't know about. And so that's definitely always an aim, is try to find at least some new talents that, that can speak, um, but also make sure that I'm on the wave of the, the innovation. So I always want to make sure that at least DevOps covers the, the new innovative things because 
that's why people, I think, definitely one of the reasons that they, they come to, to, to this event uh, or why it's so successful, I, I assume, is, is because of the, the, the content. I mean, the content is still, for me, the most important thing. And so me going to all the other DevOxes as a tourist is really trying to um, find new speakers and new topics that I can then invite to Belgium. So the other DevOxes is, for me, are basically in a, a, a ground to find new talent as well. Um, then I would tell it, uh, tell it, Alex, you know, that you are misusing uh, Vox Romania to make you know Vox Belgium better. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's mutual beneficial, mutual, right? Because okay. it's it's definitely mutual beneficial. Uh, okay, because I try to be as transparent as well. Like when people rate the talks, I try to publish it, and so if they see the top ten or the no, top hundred, just 100, kidding, of course. Sure, I know, but it, it works in both ways for sure. Mm -hmm. What's unique, actually? that uh you know your goal is fun and uh the other conferences or some of the conferences their goal is to be you know success they they have another other agenda you know they either they are recruiters or they are you know they behind the scenes or a company is driving oh. the, and and you it seems like you have no agenda you just wanted to learn and have fun and you have fun learning so and this is uh, <laughs> so this is why You are competitionless, right? There is no one who can compete with you unless they also have fun, right? So I mean, this is like like almost sport, yeah. For you, DevOps is almost like a, a sport event, right? For you, so okay, I make it better, and then it's the competition. Then we have four months off. Uh, there's like you no know, the blues, and then I learn, and there is the next one, and the next one has to be better than the previous one, right? This is your the idea. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. cool. Yeah, I like yeah. that. But it has to be successful as well, of yeah, course, sure. right? Um, it, it needs to be at least break even, and that's a bit what we are trying to find with the, the franchise as well. Is that find the right uh, mindset of people who want to organize a Fox Days or a DevOx as well. And if you look at all the different, like Alex and Andra, they're that they're a couple, so they're they're married to each other, and they're basically me and my wife, but 30 years younger. Mm -hmm. They're exactly the same. Alex is the, the geek. Yeah. And Andra, she's a lawyer. She's very strict admin. <laughs> the same relationship like with, with me and my wife. And so it's that type of uh, passion, but also dynamic and, and mindset that I'm trying to find also for the other DevOxes and Vox Day. So if, uh, if a guy comes to me and says, I want to run a Vox Day, I have an interview with him or her. And I try to see if they have that type of mindset. Okay. If it's your company which says, no, no, we're just doing this for marketing and it's sales, etc., then it's like, okay, I'm not interested. And yeah. I've really turned down quite a because I'm not searching for other events. They come to me saying like, hey, can we be a Vox Days or, or could we turn it into a DevOx? Yeah. One thing which was a little bit pity, um, it was, uh, I think his name is... Uh, Greg in, in Poland, you know, he runs the DevOx Poland, and he had a conference before 33 degrees. Okay. And this was a great name. And he, did, he made, you know, he, uh, he revamped the 33 degrees, converted into DevOx Poland, Krakow. Yeah. And I said, this is a pity because, you know, 33 degrees is a beautiful name. And now we are running a DevOx, like, you know, 20 other DevOxes. So I would say with all the DevOps all, all over the place, you know, there's just the DevOx name. So this is a little bit, you know, pity because before that, There are lots of conferences with unique names. Like, yeah, but it's the branding. It's like, yeah, but 33 Degrees, the name was great. Yeah. I, I like the yeah. name, just, you know, it's like 1001 Crew. Perfect yeah. name. And his name was 33 Degrees. And I asked him back then, it's like 10 years ago. I don't know whether the the uh, the DevOps Poland started, I think, 10 years ago, you know. Yeah, it's around 10 years. It's Grigorz. Uh, yeah, Duda. exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. Great guy, yeah. really passionate. He created a, a magazine and, and showed me this at Java One and said, look, I have a Java magazine. It's like, it's a crazy. And, and he starts a conference, invited me to the 33 Degrees. And I asked him, why 33 Degrees? And he has he had the name from a science fiction movie. And mm. I said, this is great. And then he created DevOps. This, I just didn't like, you know, the fact that he renamed the conference to DevOps because DevOps was Belgium <laughs> and whatever. So, but he, he was passionate about DevOps. So yeah. this is a little bit downside of the DevOpses all, all over the place. But yeah. uh, I would say right now is a good thing because conferences are not doing that well. It's my observation, right? So after the pandemic, is a little bit down. So for yeah. DevOps, it's great because Java is more visible. Without DevOps, it would be even worse because lots of conferences will die. So, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, in Gregor's case, uh, he was in the cinema complex as well, yeah. uh, with further degrees, and he really—he's a very passionate and very—he's uh, very motivated. He's really also an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, and and he is always looking for new ideas and new angles. And he really wanted to grow his event, so yeah, yeah. I, I contacted me and said, like, I'm only interested if you go to a bigger venue because it will have an impact on your attendees <laughs> and. And he basically doubled it just yes. by rebranding it. Um, yeah, so yeah. It and the, the well. funny stuff was um, he he scheduled the DevOps and the venue was not ready, the very first one. And he invited me, say, like, this is the, the biggest conference venue in either Krakow. Poland or Krakow. It's yeah. a huge one. Yeah, it's big. But I'm really afraid it's not going to be ready for DevOps, right? And I said, okay, this was the beginning. <laughs> this was this was crazy. And, uh, yeah. yeah, but it's the same with Greece. I mean, Patroklos, he mm -hmm. really had the balls to start a conference which was Vox Days Athens, mm -hmm. right in the middle when they had this economic meltdown, basically. Yeah. And he said, like, if I'm successful during you know a low economical uh, situation. I will definitely be successful if the economy picks up again. Yeah. And he, this year, transformed it into DevOps Greece with, with 1,250 attendees. And Perfect. he's really flourishing and, and doing an amazing job. And he's like one of the guys where he invites so many new speakers, which I've never heard about. Mm -hmm. And he really tries, he has an eye for new talents and mm -hmm. new topics, etc. And then this really works, again, in both ways where I really learn from him and yeah, it's it's really nice to see those synergies. It's it's, it's really fun. Perfect. What we should do, I should reinvite you back in one year, you know, and to talk what's what's new on the horizon. What's with ChatGPT? Is the virtual Stefan, you know, Stefan GPT or whatever is was happening? <laughs> Where people can find you on the internet? You know, uh, you know the DevOps if they would like, you know, uh, or when it opens. So when the five minutes happens, you know. Yeah. So it's the 16th of August on nine o'clock Central European Summer Time. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I'm assuming it's going to be gone in five minutes. That's why we do two batches. Mm -hmm. uh, but the second batch last year was gone in two seconds. So everybody was like refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And so, but yeah, uh, if you go to twitter.com slash devox, you, you will find it. Uh, the web website for Belgium is devox.be. But the, the overall website for all the devox is devox.com. And that's where you can find all the details about it. And you events. on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? The Twitter is Stefan007 from uh, James Bond. Ah, 007. Oh, so, how many transactions per second you got during the registration phase? You know that? So we have, uh, it's a Kubernetes cluster with three pods and it reaches maximum 20% uh, CPU. So it's almost not, not busy uh, with three pods. It's based on open source software by Alfaio. So he basically says, you know, got inspired by, by DevOps and so on. And he started his own project and it scales really well. Um, and yeah, that, that's it. I, I remember we had like 
I think it was like 3,000 people trying to subscribe, but we only had 2,000 tickets. So, and, and people could, sub I mean, lots of people from the same company try to get in. Okay. And once you're in, you can buy, you could last year buy 50 tickets. This year, we're going to reduce it to 10 because we really want to spread it and give people more opportunity. Um, but yeah, we're definitely going to have a bit more analytics this year and see how, how crazy Yeah, this, you should publish this. This would be a cool project, you know. So the peak yeah, time we, we tweeted a few stats, for sure, uh, like with the, the whole setup and the memory that we use, etc. Yeah. But it scaled, it scaled very well. It, it, was really, it wasn't really a problem. I think Ticketmaster should have a look at the, that, that project. <laughs> of course. With, uh, Tyler Swift. <laughs> Thank you a lot. It was fun to chat with you. It was really... Uh... Really interesting conversation. Likewise, uh, Adam. It's always a pleasure to meet you and see you also in action. Um, <laughs> I think we, we, we know each other already, like for what twenty years yeah, or yeah. more. Yeah. So it's it's really fun to see. Also, uh, you're still very active and passionate about Java. Maybe Python <laughs> soon, right? So with you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. See you.